Peace be with you, church. I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, the Gospel of Luke. We are beginning a new chapter, starting in verse 1 through 11. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, the disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them against their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he rose, but he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to him, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Let's pray. This is the word of the Lord. Father, Lord, we thank you for this great opportunity, Lord, this privilege that we get to enter into your house and worship you and hear from your word. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would work among us, that you would open up our hearts in our eyes, to see the glory of Jesus. Lord, may your words go forth, remain, and bring much fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, for the past few weeks, we have been looking at a series of issues that the Pharisees took up with Jesus. And if you are tired of hearing about the Pharisees, today is the last story, it's the fourth and last story for a while um, that we are looking at. And uh, this one probably got the Pharisees the most angry. We see here that at the end, they're trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. This is when they begin to plot how to kill, how to destroy Jesus. And the issue this time is the Sabbath day. And here in our text, we have two stories uh, two, thing, two, two, two separate Sabbath days, but both are about the issue of the Sabbath. And so in the first story, Jesus and his disciples, they are walking somewhere. We're not told where are they walking, but they are walking through a grain field of wheat. And the disciples get hungry, and conveniently they are in a field of wheat, and so they plucked the heads of the grain, and they rubbed them, 
and removed the chaff and then ate them. I never knew you could just eat grain like that. Um, Apparently, you could even replace a whole entire meal. Um, But that's what they're doing here. Nothing else. They're picking the grain and they're eating it. That is it. Doesn't seem like this is a big deal. But I, I don't know if the Pharisees had spies following Jesus. I don't know how they knew, but somehow they figured out, somehow they knew that this great atrocity was done. That the disciples ate some grain while walking through a field on the Sabbath day. And so they come to Jesus and they ask him, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? For the Pharisees, this trivial stroll through the field was not trivial. It was a violation of the law. It was worthy of raising a fuss about. This was a big, big deal to them. And so they approach Jesus and they ask him, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? When we look at the Old Testament, if we take all of the commandments of Jesus, if you've read through Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, there's a, when, when you read it, it's almost overwhelming how many commandments we see there. And if we total them all together, there are 613 total commandments. Okay, they've covered the moral law, the civil law, the ceremonial law, 613 of them. For example, just to compare, there are 4,312 laws in the United States of America. There are 88,899 federal rules and regulations. This is just federal. This is not counting your state, your county, your city, your HOAs, (laughs) hundreds of thousands of regulations. And you're telling me the Old Testament was bad. 613 covered everything, covered all of life, religious, moral, civil, everything. And so it didn't stay that way. The 613 laws did not stay that way at this point, though, right here. The Jews have over a thousand laws just on the Sabbath day alone. Laws and regulations. And what we need to realize is this this didn't happen overnight. It's not like the Pharisees have formed their little religion and made this happen in a short period of time. No, between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New, the, the coming of Jesus, this 400 year plus, some of this dates back to Ezra, in this period, the Jewish religious leaders and the rabbis developed a beast of a religious system, literally. They expounded on the commandments of God. They wrote books for every law of God. There was a 24-chapter book on the Sabbath regulations alone. 24-chapter book. Some of the Jews, there's a myth, there's a story that some Jews spent up to three years just studying this book alone. Here's some examples. To pluck grass was a sin. 
Likewise, it was sinful to do anything that would promote the ripening of fruits, such as watering or even to remove a withered leaf. Thus, if a person cut a mushroom, they had sinned twice, once in the cutting and again in producing or forcing a mushroom to grow in its place. A radish may be dipped in salt, but not left in it too long, for that might pickle it, violating the Sabbath. A person could not wear false teeth on the Sabbath, lest they fall out, and that person would be tempted to pick them up and carry them, which would be a burden. If your chicken laid an egg on the Sabbath, you could not eat the egg, ever. But later they added, you could sell the egg to the pagans. And so, out of all the rules and regulations that they have established, there was nothing more regulated than the Sabbath day. And this was very ironic. Because the Sabbath day was supposed to be a day for rest. This is the day that God has made for his people to enjoy with no work. Just rest and rest in God and they made it into the most anxious day of the week. They made it into the worst day of the week. They went all technical. They went all OCD on this day. We all have those friends who go above and beyond everything that they do. Everything is according to the law plus Five more steps. We love them, but sometimes they are no fun, especially when we play board games with them. That's me. You don't want to play the board game with me. I enforce every single rule. But the Sabbath day, it was the most regulated day of the week. And it is by these regulations that they are here judging Jesus. Jesus is walking through the fields. The disciples are plucking and rubbing the grain, and they tell him, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath day? The Lord does say, do not harvest, do not reap, do not process your grains. They get all technical, and they say, by plucking that grain, you are technically harvesting. By rubbing the grain, you are technically harvesting threshing the chaff. You are working on the Sabbath day. Therefore, you are breaking the law. And I love Jesus' answer. Instead of arguing with them on technicalities, Jesus tells them a story, a story they knew really well. Verse 3, we read, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? Similar situation. The disciples are also hungry. He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. So Jesus quotes a story out of 1 Samuel chapter 21. And in that story, David is fleeing from Saul, and he and his men come to a village of Nob. It's a place where a lot of priests live. That's where Saul has placed the tabernacle of God. And all that they had there was bread that was for 
showbread. It was holy bread. The priests were allowed to eat, but common men, no one else was allowed to eat. It was only lawful for the priests. And so David, he took that bread, he ate it, and he also gave it to his men to eat. And by eating the bread, David did not just break some technical pharisaical law. David actually went against the law of God. Jesus here says, David ate what was not lawful for him to eat. Jesus agrees with the fact that David broke the law. And as Jesus quotes this story, he approves of what David has done. So what is Jesus trying to tell us with this story? What Jesus is saying is that no ceremony, no holy ritual is greater than the needs of a human life. You cannot raise rituals and ceremonies above the needs of man. David and his men are hungry. The only source of food available to them is the holy bread. They eat it, and it was okay. David had no other source of food. He did not eat this bread flippantly. He didn't do it disrespectfully. It's not like he had a choice of other places to go to. This was all the food that was available. Saul is pursuing them to kill them. So it's either uphold these ceremonies and die or eat the only bread available to them, gain strength, and continue to run. And the threat was real because in the next chapter, chapter 22, Saul kills all but one priest in that entire village. And we see that Jesus approved David's decision. No ceremony is greater than the fundamental need of life. That is what Jesus is trying to say here. And if we go to the Gospel of Mark, we read, um, Luke doesn't include it, but this, we find this in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus also says, tells them, in that moment, he tells them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, when God created the Sabbath, he created it to serve mankind, to give mankind rest, to give us refreshment, to revitalize our body, spirit, and soul. The law surrounding the Sabbath, yes, they restrict the Jew on what they could and could not do, but that restriction was for the good of people. Ultimately, the way God designed Sabbath is for it to serve people. The Sabbath is our servant. It serves our needs. But the Pharisees flipped the whole thing upside down. With all the hundreds of extra laws and regulations that they added, they have forced people to serve the Sabbath. They forced 
they force people to be slaves of the Sabbath, to be burdened by this day. They forgot that Sabbath was created by God to serve humanity. The disciples of Jesus are hungry, and so they eat. Yet in the eyes of the Pharisees, following the ceremonies is greater than fulfilling the basic needs of the disciples. They don't care about human flourishing. They only care about their made-up laws. And this is the reason why Jesus is rebuking them here. And in verse 6, we have another story. It's another Sabbath. Jesus is again teaching in the synagogue. And in the synagogue is a man with a withered hand. A hand without life. And so the Pharisees, they're watching Jesus. They're watching this man. They're very aware of the situation. They're aware of what's going on. And they see this as a perfect opportunity to trap Jesus. They know that Jesus will not be able to help himself. He is going to heal this man. And boom, we're going to get him. We're going to get him. He's going to violate the Sabbath in front of everyone in the synagogue, and we can prove to all of these people that he is a false teacher. He's working on the Sabbath day. He is making God work by healing this man. And so we see that they are preoccupied with their religion. They are no longer amazed at the healing power of Jesus. They have no mercy for this man who is sick. They do not care about him. All that matters to them are their laws, their ceremonies. Human needs do not matter. And we read that Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew exactly what they were about to do. And so he calls up this Sick man to come up front. Must have been awkward to be Jesus' prop. And so this man comes up, and Jesus asks the Pharisees, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Jesus gets past all of their technicalities. He says, let's forget all about your little rules. Let's think about what really matters here. What matters is mercy. What matters is serving the needs who, of those who are in pain and in suffering. What matters is to do good. What matters is to give life to those around us. The Sabbath was made to serve man. The flourishing of our neighbors is what matters even on the Sabbath. And Mark tells us that Jesus, after saying these words, looked at the Pharisees. He was filled with anger towards them. He was frustrated with them. We read he was grieved that they had such hard hearts. They had no regard for good or for life. All that mattered to them 
or the technicalities of the law. Human flourishing, the good of their neighbor, did not matter to them at all. And that is why Jesus is angry with them. They are the religious leaders. They should know better. He is grieving at the hardness of their heart towards fellow humans. And he looks at them and he tells the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretches out his hand and it's healed. In that moment, they could not make an example out of Jesus in the synagogue. They would look like fools in front of the people. And in verse 11, we read their reaction to this. They were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Look how twisted this is. According to them, to heal a man on a Sabbath was wrong. To do good and to show mercy was wrong. Yet to plot how to kill Jesus? To plot how to get rid of him? How to do something to Jesus on the Sabbath day? That wasn't wrong. For them, that was not breaking the Sabbath. Going back to the question of Jesus when he asked them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? As Jesus is giving life to the man's hand, as Jesus is doing good on the Sabbath, the Pharisees on that very same day are plotting harm. They're plotting how to destroy Jesus. The rules and regulations, technicalities of the laws of God became greater than the fellow brother and sister. We might be tired of hearing about COVID. This example is just easy pickings. That's why I'm bringing it up to you. But how many churches were killed over this past two years? How many relationships and friendships got destroyed over arguments about technicalities and COVID restrictions and mandates? A lot. Relationships were destroyed because we, like the Pharisees, have decided to elevate technicalities above mercy. We made the mandates the thing. We raised it above everything instead of loving one another, showing mercy to each other, accepting one another, forbearing with each other, being patient towards each other living in understanding of where we all stand. Sorry, I had to drop that one. But what other ways have you elevated certain principles in your life, certain traditions that you may not even think about, but they're benefiting you 
but they hurt your neighbor. With the story of David and his hungry men, and with the example of this man with the withered hand, Jesus is showing the Pharisees that mercy and human flourishing, flourishing of our neighbor is greater than any ceremony or any technicality of the law. Relationships matter more. But greater than that, greater than these two examples, here's what Jesus is doing. Here in in these stories, he is pointing them to himself. He is pointing us to himself. In verse 5, after he finishes telling the story of David, Jesus drops this phrase, and we just we might not even think about it, but it's a, one of the most important phrases in our entire text. Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That is a powerful statement. In, in it, we see two amazing truths that Jesus tells us about himself. First, that he is a Son of Man, And second, that he is Lord of the Sabbath. When we look at the way Jesus referred to himself, the number one name that Jesus used for himself is the Son of Man. It's the number one way that he referred to himself. What does that mean? Son of Man. Yes, it expresses Jesus' humanity. That he's not just God, but he is also man. God, born of a human, born of a virgin. God incarnate. It's a name that relates to us. It's a way he attaches himself to us. I am a son of man. But more than that, this name is actually a reference to a prophecy, a vision of the prophet of Daniel, a vision of the coming of Christ. If you would go with me to Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. Daniel Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. We read, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A steam of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. Verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. 
And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall never be destroyed. There came one like the Son of Man. In this divine vision of the heavenly council, of all of these things going on in the heavens, there is one like a Son of Man. This is a vision of Jesus who is divine, yet in the form of man. And he has authority, he has power, he has dominion over all, every square inch of the universe, visible and invisible, belongs to him. And so every time Jesus refers to this phrase, son of man, this is what he means. He means, I am the one who came from heaven with all power and authority. I am the son of man. That is the first part of this phrase. The second part is that the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. The son of man has lordship and authority over all we see here in Daniel. And that includes the Sabbath. Pharisees, you're going to teach me about the Sabbath? You're going to come and nitpick about what I can and cannot do, what my disciples can and cannot do? You're going to tell me what's lawful and what's not? I'm the son of man, first off. Every square inch of the universe is mine. And I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the one who has instituted the Sabbath. I am the one who has created all things, and on the seventh, I rested. That was me. I am the one who has commanded you and has given you the laws on Sabbath. Here, Jesus declares his absolute authority and lordship over the Sabbath. He authored it and he instituted it. How much more clear can Jesus get? When we think about the Sabbath, what, it's ultim- what is it ultimately about? It's about rest. It's rooted in the creation mandate. On the seventh day, God rested. Sabbath is all about rest. But on the Sabbath day, Jews were not just called to chill on their couch. They were also called to worship, to meditate, to focus their attention on God. That's why every Sabbath day, we see them going to the synagogues. We see Jesus in the synagogue. Why? Why on the day of rest are we to set our time aside to meditate and to focus our attention on God? Why? Because ultimately, true rest is found in God. 
ultimately, he is the only one who can revitalize our spirit and soul. He is the one that can pour new life into us. And the greatest expression of God, the greatest revelation of God, the greatest one to whom we can give all of our attention when we meditate on God and his word is Jesus Christ himself. In Jesus is found true rest. In Jesus, the Sabbath is complete. And here he is, Jesus. He is standing in front of these Pharisees. He tells them exactly who he is. I am the son of man. I am Lord of the, of the Sabbath. You are preoccupied with the laws. You are preoccupied with all the technicalities and you've missed the fact that they are all about me. I'm right here, guys. Your Messiah is right here. Your rest is in front of you. And yet they missed it. All of Jesus' teaching pointed to the fact that he is the Messiah. All of Jesus' actions, his healing, are pointing to the fact that he is Messiah. And he straight up tells them who he is. Yet they are blind. They are heart of heart. And they do not believe him. And ultimately, they kill him. They kill him for blasphemy. They kill him because he claimed to be God. He claimed to be the son of man from Daniel chapter 7. But it is in the death of Christ that the plans of God were not destroyed, but they were accomplished. The abuser of humanity, the tyrant of our souls, sin, death, Satan, the evil masters, the master that would not give us rest, they were destroyed through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Through his obedient life, Jesus worked on our behalf where we failed. Through the death on the cross, Jesus worked on our behalf by paying for the penalty of our sin so that we would no longer have to work trying to achieve our salvation. Through the resurrection, Jesus worked on our behalf by destroying sin and death. They are no longer a threat to us, church. Jesus worked on your behalf, church. That is why today our Sabbath is Jesus. That is why we recognize and we celebrate the fact that our rest is found in him. And we celebrate this day. We celebrate his work every single week on Sunday. The first day of the week where Christ has walked out of the grave. 
accomplishing this work. So church, there are many things that are distracting us today. There are many things that are calling our attention. There's so much things that we can fight and bicker over with each other. Today, God calls us to see Jesus. We are called to find our rest in Christ. Individually and communally together as his church. Look to Christ. He has a lordship and he has authority over all. He is your savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the work that Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. We thank you that Jesus has destroyed Satan and death, that Jesus has paid the penalty of our sin, that he has worked on our behalf. He lived the perfect life that we could not live. He paid for the penalty that we deserve so that today we might enter true rest. And Lord, we are also looking forward to the day when this true rest will be fully accomplished. Where, when, when in your kingdom we will no longer deal with the tyrant of our soul. Where sin will no longer entrap us. Where we will no longer, Lord, fight with one another, bicker with each other. Lord, but on that day, all of these things will be placed aside. They will no longer be. We will forever enjoy you and rest with you. But for now, Father, I pray that we as your church would continually look to Jesus, continually laying aside every weight that holds us down, that we would rejoice in you, Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.